You never knew. Never knew. That was his power. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Back now and here we go again. Spread the words, we the shorty tell a friend. The game changed, but I'm here to break a ten. Them boys play, but I'm here to make amends. Real talk. Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking Podcast. We are recording on Monday. It is September 25th. I am your host, Jared Mintz, and boy, was this a crazy weekend in sports. Between everything happening around the NFL and even the NBA with regards to the United States president and baseball playoffs getting ready to go, today's main story for me has to be in the NBA where Carmelo Anthony finally gets traded from the New York Knicks. Friday night, it came out that Melo was open to to more options, including the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Oklahoma City Thunder to go along with the Houston Rockets as trade destinations for him. About 12 hours later, Melo gets traded to Oklahoma City. Today's show is going to be all about that. We have incredibly special guests on the show today. Funny, not funny story. Joe and I were actually supposed to have these guys on the podcast the day we found out that Joe was moving on to greener pastures, for a lack of better words. We had an awesome show planned. We were DMing about it for days. We were really disappointed to have to cancel. When all of the dust settled, I still really wanted to get them on the show. But wanted to wait for a special occasion. Today is that day. To help me make sense of the post-mellow Knicks world that we're living in are two of my favorite Knicks slash Twitter slash good people friends. Kyle Maggio is an associate editor at popular Knicks blog, The Knicks Wall, as well as the co-host of The Sites podcast. Trey Teamer is the social media guru, not just for The Knicks Wall, but for all of our daily enjoyment on Twitter. Trey, Kyle, in that order, how was your weekend? Oh, that's me first. Um, I was just working. Carmelo got traded, and it's all been a whirlwind. I can't believe the weekend is over. It's Sunday night. Football is on. And here we are. (laughs) Um, I I had a tag sale that uh, did not work out well, but it actually got saved when my mom put stuff up on Facebook for a Facebook tag sale. If you can believe that, uh, it sounds as odd as it was. And today... I just watched uh, some football, lost all my bets, so that was fun. Went a spectacular 0 for 6. Uh, it's impressive. It's impressive. And uh, that's it. Enthralling stuff. You guys literally told me about your weekends and hardly said Carmelo Anthony along the way, which is slightly disappointing since I want you on the show to talk about Melo, but we will get to Melo and the Knicks very shortly. Before we do that, guys, whenever I have a guest, multiple guests on the show, We start with rapid-fire questions to get our listenership a little more in tune with the guests. You guys agreed to do this beforehand, begrudgingly. Are you guys still down to do some rapid-fire questions? It made it. All right, cool. Well, since Trey answered first before, Kyle, you're up first. Kyle, you answer first, then Trey, when Kyle's done, take it away. Who is the first celebrity, athlete, or historical figure that comes to your mind when you hear the name John? Oh, God, I, I can't even believe that this was the first that came to my mind, but John Gruden. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm disappointed with how that answer came out. See, I went the other way, and I thought of Elton John, so you went first name John, I went last name John, I don't know how I really got there, but it, yeah. yeah. I'm here for it. All right, Trey, you answer this next one first. Who's one Twitter account? you'd consider deactivating your account for if they told you it was the only way they'd be able to continue to tweet hot fire? 
Oh, I got it. Oh, that's tough. Just a limited to one. I think right now the person that runs my timeline the best would be Tyler. I am. Yeah, that's that's I think where I was gonna go. Now I gotta. I'm scrambling here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to him off consistency from the many years that I followed him. Probably Dragonfly uh, J- Dragonfly Jones. I think that's that would probably be the guy. He he is a Twitter celebrity. I get it. That that makes sense. I'm not going to answer because I don't have to. Last question, Kyle. You're up. You're up. What is your biggest music hot take, Kyle? Who? Uh, th- I think Trey knows this is coming. Kanye sucks. <laughs> Wow, that that that's a take. Trey rebuttal. I'll go in the total opposite direction. Kanye West is the best hip hop artist that's ever existed. When you like, you take the producer rapping, like all of the making the song, kind of like how Prince is probably the best pop artist when you comes to like making the song as well as producing the song. Kanye is the best hip hop artist to just totally get rid of Kyle's take. That is in fact the take. That is a take. I don't know that it's the hottest. I kind of agree more with Trey than I do with Kyle here because I'm a Kanye guy myself. But uh, I asked you guys for takes. You gave them to me. And now let's get to the reason I brought you on the show. Obviously, as I mentioned, you know, we, we go back. We are Twitter friends. We are Knicks family. I've been on the Knicks Wall podcast. I mean, we, we always go back and forth about the Knicks. And we had something monumental happen to our team this weekend. Yeah, I hate to say our, but I mean, we, we all cheer for them. You guys write for them, have the name and what you do. Wearing a Knicks jersey right now, Kyle. I mean, this is, this is our team. And they finally traded Carmelo Anthony. It, it had been what we were waiting for all summer. Heck, if not for the last couple of years, I mean, it seemed like the, the final piece fell. I don't know if you guys were shocked. I wasn't necessarily shocked. I mean, it, it looked like it was coming since the press conference on Friday where, you know, Steve Mills and, and Scott Perry were talking about, he's here, we're going to wait for a good deal to come, we're not just going to trade him to trade him, and obviously that, that pushed Melo's urgency buttons a little bit, he opened up his, his trade options, he said he was going to accept a couple different teams, and then Saturday morning we get news that he's going to Oklahoma City. Trey, let's start with you, what was your first reaction when you found out about the trade? I was shocked, right, because it happened so fast. I don't know if it was Shams or um, Adrian Wojnarowski who got there first, but it was the night before, it was Melo is going to expand his trade list. And at first it was Cleveland, right? And then a little bit, a little time passed, and it was Oklahoma City. And then all of a sudden, like, it just happened 12 hours later, and, like, I was in so much shock that it transpired that quickly. Um, Don't really like the package that came back but it is what it is Carmelo um was a great Nick uh it just kind of ended like so abruptly even though we had speculated it was on the two yard line like 15 weeks ago at this point um and yeah like I was just surprised and that's kind of it it shocked me as much as like it should not have shocked me Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Trey. I was really surprised how quickly it happened, too. I actually, I woke up and I started writing an article for FanRag Sports about mellow trade destinations, what kind of packages the Knicks could get back, screenshotting all of these trade machine hypotheticals. And as soon as I, literally, as soon as I submitted the piece to my editor, he DMs me back and says, well, a trade just happened. It doesn't make a difference that you wrote that. That was kind of a bummer for me, but the story is not about me. 
that was just kind of my first reaction, which also says kind of like, you know, this this was a little diluted. We we felt the trade was going to happen for so long that it finally happening just hardly moved the, the needle. Maybe part of that is the package that they brought back. I'm not excited about Enos Cantor either, nor am I excited about Doug McDermott. I don't know if anybody could be excited about Doug McDermott. But it's just, it happened so quickly that I think that was the most surprising part about this. Kyle, what was your first reaction when you found out about the trade? I was sad. And I know that sounds weird because I've been pushing this trade thing for a while. I mean, I, I knew it was best for us. It was time, but I was sad. Just, I think most of it had to do with um, whether we begrudgingly want to admit it or not. All of our best Knicks memories, at least of my adult life, and most of my life, the last time I had good Knicks memories at all in any capacity before Mello was like the Spreewell, Allen Houston era. And that's when I first fell in love with basketball because I was like nine. You know what I mean? So there was such a, a big gap of, of time before there was some sort of sustainable, fun memories. And yeah, there were there was a lot of bad memories. Too. There was a lot of bad times. Um a downward spiral, but I was there. There were some very high moments for me, anyway, or the highest that it could have been being a Knicks fan uh, at the age that I am. So I was sad when I saw it. I was sad, and um, especially because I'm going quick backstory. I think why I was more sad um, when I first met the Knicks of uh, any of the players. It was in 2010. I won tickets to open practice, and I did a meet and greet right before Melo got traded there. That was Amari's first uh, first couple of weeks there. And uh, I just missed Melo by like two, three months. So then I'm going to media day tomorrow, and I was actually really excited because I was like, well, they haven't traded. This is like two days ago when I found out, and I was like, well, they haven't traded him yet. Not going to happen. I'm going to get. I'm gonna at least get to talk to Melo for a little bit. It'll be cool. And then like I had this feeling in like the pit of my stomach uh, when I was doing the tag sale. And I was like, they're going to trade him somehow before Monday. And then like probably 45 minutes or an hour later, like they traded him. So I was sad for multiple reasons, to be honest, but it was time. It was time. Yeah, that, that's a really good way to end it. Unfortunately, it was time. I mean, Melo's been talking about the writing on the wall for, I don't know, it, it feels like years now. You, you look at the Knicks and I think what, you know, you guys kind of brought up and the sentiment that you shared was, you know, Mello is really the first good Knicks team that you guys have seen be being old enough to appreciate. Not to say I was old enough in the 90s to appreciate that team, but at least I saw them experience some kind of success. And regardless of that team, looking at what the Knicks have done the last 15 years, it's obvious that at least some of the Carmelo Anthony era was what stood, stood out from the rest of these 15 years. I mean, you had the 54-win team, they made it to the playoffs three years in a row, which, I mean, the Knicks just haven't done since the 90s. And this was a good era, unfortunately. Everything is relative in sports. This was one of the good Knicks eras. This is one of the greatest Knicks players that we've seen. And it's really sad that they weren't able to put a better team around him, whether that's partially his fault, that's all ownership, management, whosever fault it is. It's just disappointing, especially because the fan base got behind Melo so quickly. They were so excited to embrace a star Everybody wanted Melo to succeed in New York, and it's it's really too bad that he didn't. I think where the conversation shifts now, at least at least you know at first, is Melo wasn't able to have success in New York. We know he limited his choices to really Houston, and then Cleveland became a an option for him. Teams with championship aspirations, 
winds up going to Oklahoma City, who, granted, was able to pair Paul George with Russell Westbrook, even if it's a rental, even if it's just a one-year shot. Do we think this is a good situation for Carmelo to enter? Trey, why, why don't you start us off here? Well, first off, like just a few days ago, I gave a hot take to Twitter, and it was that the Pelicans would have more wins than the Thunder. <laughs> I would like to slowly backtrack off of that <laughs> at this point. Um, as far as the fit, it should be good, right? We see Carmelo Anthony play his best basketball when, it's, when he's majority playing um, catch and shoot, right? Um, he does that. It's Olympic mellow. We all know about it. I do think there is cause for concern that the best version of Russell Westbrook is when he's not necessarily worried about sharing the ball. And with Paul George and Carmelo Anthony, I can see some type of chemistry dispute there. And one of them, if not both, checking out if Westbrook is not going to be the willing passer. Like, I get that he averages his 12 assists or whatever, but it's kind of like in the flow of his game rather than the flow of the game, if that makes sense. Um, I do hope that they stagger the lineups and I get to see a lot of Paul George running the second unit because you could not see Russell Westbrook on the bench and the Thunder um, sustain success at all. I do think that they can be good and crunch time lineup of Westbrook, Roberson, Paul George, Mello, and Steven Adams. Like, I don't know how many lineups, just five-man units, have the potential to be as good or better than that. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really strong point, and I think that's what a lot of people look at here with Mello going to Oklahoma City is that's, that's really their strong five-man lineup. And I mean, you have defense with Paul George and Roberson on the wings, definitely covering up for Mello. Ideally, this makes Mello play more of the four, which has been his best position for the last five years, at least. And you have Steven Adams, who has kind of emerged as one of the better rim protectors, rebounders in the league. And it's just, Mello could just go in and help this team score, help them on offense, and hopefully not give up too much on defense because there's all these other players there that'll have his back. I do think that that's kind of a good fit for Mello. I think what we worry about here is Carmelo took so long to, to accept a trade because he didn't want to go to a team where he was going to have to struggle. This isn't to say that the Thunder are going to struggle, but when he limited his options to just Houston and he wasn't even open-minded to Cleveland, who pretty much has you know a, an easy pass to get into the NBA Finals every year that LeBron's there, it's alarming that he's worried that he's not going to be able to win a championship somewhere else. And I don't know that going to Oklahoma City necessarily makes them a championship contender. I didn't think they were one before they got mellow. I don't know that him going there helps bring them over the top against the Warriors or even Houston or even Cleveland. Kyle, how, how do you view this trade for, for Mello, for Oklahoma City, and for the NBA? I think it works for Oklahoma City for a, a lot of reasons. I touched on a couple of them on our emergency pod yesterday. And one thing that I, I keep seeing brought up is when people say, like, oh, well, he's not really going to help against the Warriors because defense. And then I started to think, well, all the pro-Mello arguments for him at the four – Kind of, you know, kind of the point was him playing at the four was optimal offensively and defensively. He was much more efficient offensively and defensively. He wasn't chasing guys around the perimeter. Now, in today's NBA, you still get stretched out a little bit. But if he's primarily at the four, he wouldn't get stretched out and hung out to dry as often as he was um, when he plays at the three. So I kind of I'm not really concerned with like the defensive aspect of it because as we saw in the 54 win year when you gave him Tyson Chandler 
and he played at the four full time. That worked really well. Those two were the most important Knicks that year, and they played really well together. Now you have Steven Adams, who's that five, and yeah, Melo's five years older, for sure. I'm not saying it's going to work exactly the same, but the fact that his workload is decreasing to join Paul George or Russell Westbrook, and he's at his best position, I really don't see how this kind of ends badly for Oklahoma City. I don't think like it like the defensive argument I don't think really applies here because you're putting him at a position where he was average defensively. So that's how my stance on that for the Knicks. They were gonna be bad with or without him. So this is just like the keys are fully handed to KP now. Um and you just try to hope for a good pick. I'm thinking that's the logic. And then uh, for the NBA, I mean, the, it's the wild, it's the wild fucking West now, man. I mean, everybody from one through four. I mean, that's those are heavyweights. Those are the, probably the four best teams in the NBA. You have the Thunder, you have the Warriors, you have the Spurs, and you have um, the Rockets. Rockets, thank you. You know, I mean, those are pretty deep, pretty top-heavy teams too. I, I don't. I mean, it makes every Western Conference matchup incredibly intriguing. It makes the Eastern Conference slightly more meh, I guess. I think it's good for the NBA because we were worried about the Warriors, you know, breaking the NBA, ruining the NBA. And not that I wish it upon them, but they really are like one injury away from like maybe they aren't the one seed for sure. Like maybe they are, maybe not that, but maybe they aren't for sure in the finals this year. Because they've had a lot of good luck with that, too. So I, I don't know. I, I think it, it makes the West more interesting for sure. And uh, I really don't see much downside, if any, at all for uh, OKC. Yeah, sure. It's definitely an upgrade for the Thunder. And it, it kind of gets them closer, I think, to that party of being with the Warriors. And I don't know if the Spurs or the Rockets or even, I mean, you know, you have improved teams in Minnesota and Denver this year also. You can never count Memphis out. Portland is also good. It's like you said, there's just so many good teams in that conference that you don't know where to draw the line. I don't know that anybody is with the Warriors, but I think that this definitely makes the Thunder closer to them. Uh, as far as the Knicks, you know, we'll we'll get to them in a minute. We'll touch on them shortly. Sticking with Melo and him being with the Thunder first, do you guys think he's going to be playing a little bit better this year than he's played in the past? What kind of role do you expect to see Carmelo take on on this team? I think... Trey kind of mentioned it before. Um, he's, I think he's going to fit in really, really well because catch and shoot mellow is, we've known this for quite some time, is the best mellow offensively. Like, I, I, it's just an, an enjoyable thing is watching mellow just catch and shoot from the three point line. He takes that little half step, toe on the line, and then he just lets it rip. It's a very fun thing to watch. And Russell Westbrook already averaged a triple double last year with. Um, guys like Sabonis and Oladipo and uh, Roberson shooting lots of shots. And uh, now you give him Paul George, who doesn't play a ton of on-ball. He's also a catch-and-shoot guy, Paul George. And you give him Melo, who is going to stretch the floor a little bit at the four, I think we assume. And I just think like he's going to get so many wide-open looks that his volume might not decrease like as significantly as we think. I just think he's going to fit in really well. I don't I, I don't know. I, I kind of maybe I'm romanticizing it a little bit because of that 54 win year. Very possible. We have bias, but I think that's where. I mean, that's got to be what he's going to be doing, right? Catching and shooting. 
and that's what he's best at. So I, I think he's going to play very well. He's going to be more efficient than he's been of late, and hopefully that bodes well for him. Trey, are you sold that we're going to get this hoodie slash Olympic mellow, or do you think he might struggle a little bit with this team? Man, he's the 64th best player in the league. I think he's going to struggle. Chris Middleton would have been much better. Now, um, I think Melo, obviously, if you decrease his workload and just put him in positions to kind of make quick decisions with the basketball, whether it's shooting or passing on to a different player, I think he's obviously going to be well suited for that role, right? Because he's a fantastic shooter when he's in rhythm. And Westbrook is the best point guard he's ever played with, right? Because... Westbrook's this MVP. He played with Iverson after the MVP. Oh, peak Raymond, Raymond Felton part two would like a word. Peak Westbrook's probably higher than peak <laughs> Iverson regardless. Um, yeah, this is the best team he's been on. And I believe it was Bomani Jones who credited or who came up with this point, and I will credit him for that. Melo knows how to play alongside these guys who are gunners, right? He played with J.R. Smith for so long. He played with Allen Iverson. Chauncey Billups wasn't exactly the pass-first point guard that people kind of romanticize him as. He knows how to play with dudes that play like Russell Westbrook. And he's here to do that. And Paul George is also perhaps a top-five player that Melo's ever played with. They're going to make it work. They're super talented basketball players. Paul George and Russell Westbrook are both top-15 and then if you just throw Melo on the court it, with the second unit, it's like he's playing with the Knicks again, and he was fine there. I don't see how this hurts them at all. I think he will have um, a pretty good role, pretty expanded role. He'll probably be the second or third option. It's just now it comes down to uh, Billy Donovan making it work. Yeah, definitely. Billy Donovan's got his hands full, but I'm sure that this is a problem that any coach in the league would take on having these three players who, I don't know that you'd necessarily call them volume scorers. I think that in fits, they have been. It'll be interesting to see if their efficiency increases playing with each other. I mean, you'd think that they'd all get easier looks. I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember which one of you said it, but we're not sure if the best version of Russell Westbrook is Russell Westbrook with a lot of guys around him or Russell Westbrook who has to carry the whole offense on his shoulders. So it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts playing with two other guys that, that need to get their shots and Especially with Melo. I mean, we've seen Melo get disengaged if he isn't shooting the ball. I'm not anticipating these problems. Just when you put together a team with these kind of players on it, the expectations are going to be high. The responsibility is going to be high for all three of them. And, I mean, there's no reason for me to not root for Melo to succeed here. I hope he plays his best brand of basketball. And I'm with you guys. I think he's got the right guys next to him to do it. With that said, talking about Melo's best brand of basketball, we we need to take a look at, at kind of his tenure with the Knicks. You know, for you guys, I, I don't think you got to really see Patrick Ewing at all. He's probably the greatest Nick I've ever seen. And then getting Melo, he's probably right up there, too. How, how does Melo go down for you guys? What's Melo's lasting legacy for you guys? As a Nick, I should say. He is ultimately, I, th- I think he finished seventh all-time in Nick's scoring. He's the best scorer I've personally ever seen on the Knicks. Um, I have... My first Knicks memories are probably around the turn of the millennium, so those 99-2000 teams. I was only like six or seven years old, but it obviously made the impression in my head. Uh, I loved Latrell Sprewell. I know Kyle loved Allen Houston. Yep. Um, but Melo just 
better than those guys, like just flat out. And it's not like some version of nostalgia talking. Like Carmelo's clearly just better than those dudes. And then we had uh, Stefan Marbury was an all-star, I want to say, for the Knicks. I don't know if he made it as a Nick or a net, but he, you, like, he was that good. But Carmelo was just better than him. Then there was David Lee, who was an all-star with the Knicks. Carmelo's better than him. Omari, Carmelo better than him. Like, he is the best Nick that I've ever seen, and obviously there's still hope for Chris Apps to be better than him, and I think that's definitely a possibility. But at this point, 2017, Carmelo's the best Nick that I have ever seen. I am 23 years old. I will turn 24 when the Nick, or not when the Nick season starts, when the NBA season starts, actually. Mazel. Yeah. So <laughs> Carmelo's the best Nick that I have ever seen, and he just like, he went through so much. So, so much with fans, media, whatever. And it just stinks because now he's gone and now we just kind of remember him as like, oh yeah, like he was really, really freaking good for us. And yeah, that's kind of what his lasting legacy is for me. It's kind of underrated, I would say, to a certain extent. But yeah, like he was really, really that guy. Like he was really good. Well, that's actually... A really good point because that's kind of where I was going to go with this is I again I briefly touched on this yesterday um, but I very much lament that this franchise this organization was not able to properly build around him after they properly built around him for that one season like you finally shuffled the pieces around from trying to build around Amari and then the trade for Melo and you yeah, Amnesty Chauncey to sign Tyson. And then you, you do this whirlwind of weird, you know, older veteran moves. And, like, you finally, like, skill set-wise, you see what works. You know, him playing at the four, a bunch of unselfish guys around him, a couple of, you know, a secondary scorer in JR. Like, you needed to have that defensive, you know, uh, foundation in Tyson, like that kind of guy. And they were pretty much, like, just one off season from doing – regular regular shit is the way I'd want to call it. And they trade for Bargani. You know, it's like, well, how is that the logical next step? Like, that guy doesn't beat the Pacers. And it's just like, what you gave up to do so, and then everything kind of imploded from there. And it's like, I, I just can't help but feel bad for the guy. Like, imagine if they had just not done anything stupid which is an evergreen thing to say about the next but like whoever left that year you just signed like basically the same skill set guys to try to pop in and i don't think that they maybe would have won 54 games again but high 40s is seems reasonable like to stay in top four or five seed contention and what if you do that for two or three more years how different is the way we talk about him and his time with the knicks like i know everything's lol knicks online about his time here but it just makes me feel bad because the guy had some great years individually and he gets blamed for a lot of it, but he's not that kind of like LeBron star that can, you know, really fully lift a franchise up from nothing. So I just feel bad because his skill set needed a, a very exact roster built around it. They did it one time and then they just went way off the path. And I just, I feel bad about it. I really do. I feel like he gets a real bad rap. Sure. Like he didn't do things perfectly either, but I don't know. That part makes me sad. 
Right. Those are great points that both of you guys made, actually. I mean, Kyle, it's funny you talk about the 2013-14 season. They were still a really good offense that year. And I mean, they, they just missed the playoffs by a few games. Tyson Chandler struggled a lot that year on and off the court. I mean, th- things were falling apart kind of in the locker room, which was what led to Phil Jackson essentially being hired. And then everything else, I guess, is history slash garbage after that. And I mean, that that was essentially the end of Carmelo's Knicks tenure, at least the good part of it. Obviously, he re-signed. He wanted to stay in New York. He thought Phil Jackson would be able to build the right team around him. I don't know if just the fact that those two never got on the same page, you know, ultimately doomed them and ultimately doomed Carmelo as a Nick. And then it kind of turned into them waiting each other out and seeing which one Dolan would choose if both sides pushed Dolan to say, hey, fire Phil. Hey, release me. Carmelo won. Big, big win there. It's just disappointing the way things ended after the way they got started. But I mean, that, that's kind of the interesting thing about Carmelo's tenure as a Nick and his legacy is instead of waiting the offseason to be signed, the Knicks traded and gave up so many pieces for him. They didn't need to do that. Carmelo also didn't make them do that. That's not a Carmelo thing. That is a Knicks being the Knicks thing. And I think kind of from the beginning there is where Carmelo becomes this divisive figure for Knicks fans where you can't deny how great he is, how talented he was, how much he meant to the team. But at the same time, you always are asking him for more. And maybe it's just not fair to have asked him for more. And ultimately, it's just it's too bad they couldn't win more around him. He is the most talented player they have had in a really long time. And again, you know, I guess this comes back to us just hoping he can win somewhere else. And it's too bad he wasn't able to win with the Knicks. But with that said, the Knicks still go on. They made a trade. They bring back Enos Cantor. Ultimately, I think this is more about just moving Carmelo's contract. Guys, do you think this trade was good for the Knicks? It was good in the terms that Carmelo had to go, but the return wasn't that great, but it was it also seemed to be the best return that they could get of the potential returns that um, were given to them. I think Woj said the alternatives to this were Cleveland, which would be Shumpert, Channing Fry, and Salary Filler. And like, okay, Cantor. Cantor's better than those dudes, right? Um, Houston, you would have to take back Ryan Anderson, and it's the contract's not worth it. Cantor's got a better contract. Ryan Anderson might be a better basketball player, but... And you just keep going down the line, and it's, okay, here's all these bad options. What do we do? And the Knicks took the best of the bad options. And you can't really fault them for that. You don't want to further uh, tear the locker room apart, which I imagine is kind of what may have happened because of the essential cold war between the front office and Carmelo Anthony. Um, So, yeah. They took the best of the bad options, and I can't fault them for that. Even though, like, at this point, they should, like, hindsight's obviously twenty twenty, but Carmelo should have been traded a while ago. Uh, but, yeah, they made the decision to make a move now, and this was it. And they took the best of the poor options that they've had. So I can't be mad at it. It is the return that they got. McDermott maybe can shoot a little bit. He should be able to uh, at least stretch the floor for Chris Tapps, amongst others. And Enos Cantor is the second best big on the roster, unfortunately. I love Billy Hernan Gomez more than the next man because he's the next Marcus All. Um, You've often said that. 
I've often said that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's just kind of where Cantor is. He's like, he could be anywhere from 15 to 20 points and then like 8 to 12 rebounds, but they're kind of meaningless because he doesn't play defense. It's kind of like um, had the Knicks just signed Greg Monroe a couple of years ago. Like I think they're very similar in the built of basketball player that they are. So it's kind of, it just is what it is at this point. Kyle, where do you stand on the trade for the Knicks and what they're able to bring back here? This, to me, is like the litmus test for Scott Perry, at least his first real hurdle. Because the way I'm looking at it is, all right, you you rightfully inherited this shitty Knicks situation and declined the rest of these deals. Like, nobody, nobody wanted Ryan Anderson. Like, getting Ryan Anderson and trading Melo is, is a wash. Like, you're just creating a new problem where we have to trade Ryan Anderson in like a year or two years. So that was horrific. And then, um, yeah, the Cleveland deal that Trey just mentioned was also horrific. Like that does nothing for this team in any capacity. So you get cancer. And again, it's best of the worst deals. And I'm trying to justify it to some degree because McBuckets, I think, sucks, but he shoots threes. So there's that. He shoots threes and he's youngish. So he's one of those guys who will hang around and someone will trade for him. I don't know what they'll trade, but, you know, he's still an asset to some degree. Uh, They got a pick. It wasn't a first rounder, which we all wanted. Uh, We got a second rounder, which is cool, I guess, because I think the Sixers own like the next five or something like that. but we got Cantor, who's only 25, who has, a, I think, a player option for next season, if I'm not mistaken, which he'll, of course, opt into if we don't move him. But there's four centers on this team, and two of them are very, very young, and one of them is Ennis Cantor, and the other is Joakim Noah, who are not the two youngest ones. So the way I'm looking at it is, I'm hoping, I sound smart when I say this so it happens, I'm hoping that... Perry bargained for Cantor because he thought or he knew he could move him. If that's the case, and it remains to be seen, then this is a way better deal than we maybe anticipated. But at the moment, all I see, it he kind of like band-aided. He took the best of the worst situations and was like, okay, well, there's still, there's still a way for me to to make this team so, or, you know, there's still a way to flip these guys. Like he's kind of like buying himself time, I think with this trade. So, um, it's not a good trade, but it's also far from the worst thing. And there is potential. That's what I'm going to cling to. Why I don't want to rule this a failure. There's still potential. There's no way four of these centers are going to stay on this team. So I'm thinking there have to be other moves lined up. And I'm thinking one of those moves has to involve Cantor. I don't think he stays. Yeah, those, those are some great points. And I mean, the the roster construction for this team, as Trey mentioned, Enos Cantor and Willie Hernan Gomez are very similar in what they do. I think last year, actually, Enos Cantor finished like seventh in offensive rebounding percentage and Hernan Gomez finished ninth. And that's their two biggest strengths besides what they're able to do on offense. You would hope that this Knicks team that's not going to be playing for the playoffs more than likely and feasibly is going to be playing for a draft pick would be trying to get all the minutes they can to Hernan Gomez and to Porzingis. I mean, you know, we haven't spoken about it at all, but Kristaps' best position might be the five. And even though Hernan Gomez looks like a, a budding NBA player, 
these two guys may not be able to play on the court together at the same time. Adding Cantor into that fold doesn't make things any easier, so I, I'm not really sure where Enos Cantor fits on this roster. I'm not crazy about him as a player either because of, as Trey mentioned, the guy plays no defense, and that's just not what the Knicks need. They don't need another center who doesn't play defense. They gave Joe Kim Noah $72 million to not play defense, so I don't think they need Cantor. I've heard it, you know, I've, I've heard a couple rumors that they may have gotten him to flip him. That would be great. I thought the Knicks, I hope the Knicks would have been able to get some kind of assets for, for Mello. And at this point, I mean, it looks like that, that second round pick, that's essentially the Bulls' second round pick this year, that that's the best asset they got back because the Bulls probably going to be terrible. They, they released Dwayne Wade tonight also. So, I mean, that, that's just another sign that they're not looking to be competitive this year. If the Knicks are able to flip Cantor and McDermott for any kind of assets, I mean, that, that should be considered too as part of this trade. And it's definitely something to keep an eye on. With that said, I mean, it doesn't seem like you guys think these two guys are going to play any kind of role for the Knicks this year. Why don't we talk about what we are expecting from the Knicks this year? It's tough to say right before training camp because they signed, like, 15 point guards. So if Frank starts, I believe that they are fully just trying to develop talent for the following season, in which case they might scrap together about a cool 18 wins. <laughs> I, do, I do think it's fair... Listen, I'm, I'm as big a Chris Ass fan as anyone walking this earth, right? But here it comes. I do think it's fair to question how good a Chris Ass Porzingis-led team can be in year three. He's never been the focal point of an offense. So there are questions going forward. Like, I don't think he wins you 30-plus games just by himself, even in this historically awful Eastern Conference. So if I was to go out on the line before training camp, I would say like 22-ish wins because I like it's Chris Dapps and then it's Enos Cantor and it's Courtney Lee and it's Tim Hardaway Jr. And I just don't see much potential there for a decent season. They're just going to be bad and that's kind of it. Yeah, it's just it's KP and a bunch of dudes is the best way to to word it. Like, when we get... I, I know the 2K rigs are already released, but it's like KP is going to be, what, an 87 or an 88. By season's end, he might be an 89 or a 90, and then the rest of the dudes are, like, 77s and below. Like, there's just, like, no auxiliary help. Everybody's too young, really. Like, Willie's too young. Frank is a baby. We don't even know... We haven't even seen Frank in summer league. Like we haven't seen anything other than his his overseas footage. So there's like there's nothing. No help is on the way immediately. So that's why yeah, year three. I agree with you. I mean, I'd peg them maybe like mid twenties, like a 27, 28 win season, and you call it a day. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm less interested in what the actual results are. I don't. I hope they don't win many games at all. I mean, they finally have their draft picks. It'd be nice to, to really build and, and put guys around Chris Stapps for the future, or around Hernan Gomez, around Frank, if Frank could be a player. I mean, they're committed to Tim Hardaway for four years, so I guess he's part of this too. What's one thing that you guys are just hoping to see, regardless of results this year, regardless of win-loss, what's one thing that you guys are going into the season hoping to see? Kyle, why don't you start? I already think Chris Stapps is going to have a really good individual season, and... Uh, so I don't want to like waste a lot of time on Chris Lab stuff because I think he's going to average like 24 points a game, 
Like, that's just my expectation. Um, what I'd like to see is uh, Frank doesn't suck. I think that's important. We wasted uh, our best pick in, uh, I think, probably forever, you know. Um, the last time we had a pick that high was what? Probably Jordan Hill. Before Chris. Oh, just, all right, I shouldn't ask. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I just want to see Frank not suck. Like, he can be, he doesn't have to be a star or an all-star for this, like, for me to call this a win. Like, if he's just, like, a very good player, like a George Hill, if that's his ceiling, then, like, okay, that's that's fine. I just need to see that he's going to be solid. Like, show me a consistent amount of flashes. Uh, I'd like Willie to keep taking some strides, too, and just show me that, like, you have a couple of little building blocks after Chris Stepps. That, that's really all I want to see. The win-loss doesn't matter. I hope we lose to get a better pick, but I just want to see that. For, I want to see something from Frank, and I want to see Willie continually take another stride because I think KP is going to be fine. So, What are you looking for, Trey? I am absolutely looking for Michael Beasley to average at least 20 points. <laughs> there it is. The walking bucket himself. Mellow from the left side. Um, the left-handed Mellow. I've often called him that. I think that's twice now, actually. Um, but, like, realistically, well, other than Beasley, because that's totally realistic. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., I want 16, 17, 18 points per game. There's going to be enough shots to go around. Chris Epps can only take so many shots. He's going to probably average in the, I would say, low 20s, maybe mid-20s, 22 to 25, perhaps, like, 26, like, total best case scenario so there's points to go around i don't think the knicks are going to average like 85 points so they've got shots to go around beasley's going to take a ton of shots obviously and tim hardaway jr he just got that big contract i'm hoping that he takes the next step maybe as a serviceable defensive player like he kind of became in atlanta behind Budenholzer. i hope hornacek can utilize him to maybe earn that contract that he got. Um, obviously, as Kyle touched upon, Frank needs to be a decent rookie. He needs to show signs, flashes of defensive potential because that's literally why they brought him here. And yeah, like Billy hopefully makes the next step. Courtney Lee probably won't be here long, I would have to guess. And that's really it when it comes to bright spots on the Knicks. Uh, maybe Ron Baker waves his no trade clause. I don't know. Um, yeah. So, long story short, Tim Hardaway Jr. about seventeen, eighteen points per game. Beasley, Beasley just being a quote machine is good enough for me. I don't care if he backs it up or not. He's already said that he's your favorite player's favorite player, which means Chris Epps looks up to him already <laughs> if he's talking to me directly. Um, so yeah. That's what I'm looking forward to individually from some of the dudes on the Knicks right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with both of you guys. It, it should be a fun season, and it's, it's usually a little less crazy if there aren't expectations. I'm just glad that we don't have to hear about the triangle, that we don't have to wait for Phil Jackson to speak. I mean, look, it doesn't give me any pleasure to watch Steve Mills on the screen or to think about anything else that's happening behind the scenes at Madison Square Garden, but it'll be nice to, to have a season where we're not panicking at every report and waiting for a Carmelo trade. So, hey, man, you, you guys are, are in it for the, the long haul as Knicks fans, as Knicks coverers, Knicks media guys. Good luck tomorrow at, at Media Day. I can't wait to see some of the stuff you report. You guys just do a great job with the team and huge fan of the site. But 
Before I let you guys go, one of the things I wanted to bring back for this show that you guys were pretty pumped about when we were going to do the show last month was absurd questions. So are you guys ready to do some absurd questions? Yep. You bet. All right, Trey, I know that this is all you. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go to show you guys the ropes? I'm a veteran when it comes to listening to the Relatively Speaking podcast. Shout out, Joe Nardone. My dude. Uh, if you want me to go first, I got a couple here. I can give you one or you can go first. It's up to you. You are the host here, buddy. This guy, man, you're, you're too kind. Trey, since, since you're so well prepared, I think you should ask your question first. Uh, you an- you ask, I'll answer, and I'll let Kyle uh, back clean up and-, and answer second. So, Trey, man, go for it. What do you got? All right. So, we saw Hoodie Mello come to life, right? If you were to hand Chris Dapps an accessory, if you could give him any accessory to be... Well, this was written when Mello was clearly still a Nick. If Chris Dapps could be given any accessory to be Mello's sidekick, Hoodie Mello's sidekick, what accessory would you give him? Wow, that that's a good question. I almost feel like there's an answer already. What was the tournament? There is. Yeah, did did Mello wear the? I mean, uh, Chris Dapps wore the sunglasses. Man, he wore the sunglasses and like tore up that Antetokounmpo uh, brothers charity tournament or whatever it was. Right. That was your Twitter avatar for a little bit, right? It sure was. Is, is that an acceptable answer? Kyle, Kyle do you have anything like better? It. Kyle, do you have something better? Uh, I, As a matter of fact, I do have something better. Oh. Um, what I think would be his his accessory of choice would be uh, a pair of New York's finest Timberland boots. Oh, man. And uh, you can get your Chris Stapp's Timberland boot shirt at uh, the Knicks ball. Very exclusive. Very rare. Very subtle. Uh, so uh, I think giving him Tim's would be... Uh, It'd be an elite New York move, so I think that would raise the bar a little bit. Time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. I promise. Trey, did you pose this question so that Kyle could plug the merch? Are you guys in cahoots right now? No, 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 we we are not in cahoots. I wish we were in cahoots, but we were not. I can send a screenshot out if no one believes me. It's from August 16th, <laughs> way before any of this happened. And oh. I can show you, um, I, ha- I had answered this question as well. I had two, I came down to two, I couldn't figure it out. Maybe I can combine them both. I, Chris Tapp's in a do-rag, maybe, I think would be totally fun to watch. He did like, uh, Oh yeah, because he had the cornrows. Yeah, he did. Or a backwards hat like Woody Harrelson and White Man Can't Jump. Oh, that's good. I, I dig it, man. I dig all those answers. Uh, get your Chris Tapps Tims at the Knicks wall. Get your Chris Tapps Tims. Be an authentic New Yorker because you need Tims if you're a New Yorker. All right, I, I'm going to ask my question up next. Kyle, why don't you answer it first? If you could fight and definitely win said fight with anyone ever in any television show, who would it be and why? All right. Uh, if you guys need time to think solely, about it. No, no, solely... This is fresh on my mind because I binge-watched seven seasons of Game of Thrones in three weeks. Um, 110%, it would be uh, Joffrey Baratheon. I would, I would fight him. I, I would 100%. That, that's the pick. Yeah, this is my least favorite part of the Relatively Speaking podcast. When I have a guest that comes on and talks about Game of Thrones, which I don't watch because... I'm the biggest herb in America, so uh, I'm not up on that. Trey, can you confirm if that's a good pick? 
I guess I'm number two if you're number one because I have not watched Game of Thrones either. Wow. So then who would you fight, Trey? I mean, let's see. It's kind of difficult, right? There's so many shows, but I recently binge-watched Shameless. I don't know if either one of you have watched Shameless. And I'm taking out Frank Gallagher, William H. Macy's character. He has zero redeeming qualities about him. And... Yeah, like, he was a terrible character. Like, William H. Macy played this character flawlessly. I hate this character so much. Do not watch Shameless or do and feel what I'm feeling. Um, Yeah, I would fight Frank Gallagher of Shameless, William H. Macy's character. I I can't. I hate him. I'm sorry. I know you're listening. (laughs) <laughs> he's a, he's actually a big fan of the show. Uh, he'll he'll get over it. I know Joe's actually watching same, Shameless, so maybe he'll he'll enjoy that. Uh, I don't. I'm terribly unprepared. I don't really have anybody that I would want to fight. I was like an, asking this question, thinking you guys would pick like these huge dudes who you could just beat up just to beat up like a huge dude. So that actually gives me my answer. I would love to beat up Spencer from Ballers. I think he's the worst character on TV. I think Ballers is terrible. I've been hate-watching this show for three years. I don't know why I still watch it. It's just, it's one of the worst shows on TV. I, I can't do it anymore. Ballers wants to be Entourage, and it's not Entourage. I, will I think not, that's the best way to put it. I will not put up with this Spencer Strassmore um, hate that's going on right now. I can't do it. I will not slander The Rock in any circumstances. When you first even asked the question, I was like, does wrestling count? Because I still want to beat up Brock Lesnar just because I think that would be a cool thing to tell people. Like, hey, I beat this dude up. Like, look at him. But I no think, rock slander on my watch, buddy. Those are two great here. Those are two great points. I understand wanting to beat up Brock Lesnar because he's the biggest dude. I'm also not really trying to slander the rock. I just think Spencer is top five corniest characters ever. I mean, this dude, like comes out he'll be partying one night and getting i don't know some stupid garbage business trouble and then the next day he'll come out and have a whole speech about it oh number 92 always wins his toughest fights after his worst battles the night before he's just he's a walking cliche it's terrible i can't deal with it i'll i'll stop though i'll stop slandering the rock i'll stop i'm sorry i'm sorry guys the rock he also listens so i have to apologize i'm sorry what's up uh Dwayne? what's up how's it going uh so do you hate monster trucks and moving uh, football teams to Las Vegas or <laughs> something you want to, something you got to say? I mean, that, that's also the worst. Like this dude flipped a monster truck and got out and like everybody's cheering. Everybody gives a shit. Nobody cares, man. Nobody cares about anything this dude does. I can't imagine, like seriously, I wish I knew the world that he lives in because I bet the people that like they portray on ballers do not care about anything he does. He he doesn't move things. How do you go from running a terrible business into the ground to almost buying an NFL team in Las Vegas? It doesn't make sense, man. I'm mad. I'm mad. Do you need a minute? Nah, it's cool. It sounds hurt. A little bit, a little bit. We should move on, though. Kyle, do you have an absurd question for us today? Uh, I do. It's uh, going to lead uh, coming in hot here. So, um, is Nikola Jokic the best <laughs> player in the NBA, and why is the answer yes? Oh man, you know, it's mean, actually not. It's actually not my question. I just had to get it out. Who's uh, who's going first here? 
Uh, Snotty Drippin is on the line. We could bring him in to talk hey. about it. Uh, Kyle, if you have a different question, I would love to try yes. and answer that yes. one. The, the different question is, if I had spectacular leaping abilities and I leapt from beyond the three-point line to slam dunk a basketball, is said slam dunk basketball worth two or three points? Three. Yeah, that's easy. That's all- it's all about where you jump from, man. Some people jump forward on the three-point shots. They land in front of the line. Counts for three. I think Jason Terry is a big guy that does that. I think he's got a, a very long forward leap <laughs> on his jump shots. I'm not going to check you on that. But, yeah, I think that's definitely worth three. I don't think that's really absurd either, Kyle. I don't know. Oh, wow. I appreciate I got, it. I got, I got more if we got time. Yeah, you, you, you have cool. to help me. Yeah, you know what, Trey, I'm calling you in. You got one more, man. Ask your best absurd question. What do you got? Ooh, I had between two. All right, let's, uh, I'll do this one. You guys play fantasy sports, right? Yes. Unfortunately. If you were in, all right, so this is one league, right? But it's three, you have, you own three teams. One's a baseball team, one's a football team, one's a basketball team. You get the first pick. Who are you taking? So your player pool is essentially all football players, all baseball players, all basketball players. You have the first pick to start off this absurd draft. Who are you taking and why? That's a good question. Mm. I'm tempted to say Mike Trout, right? No. He's Because that's the other thing. How much are you going to care about the baseball league? <laughs> I'm not going to care about it after game 45. And who, maybe who? that is too much. Let me, let me uh, paint you a picture here, okay? Aaron Judge is already... Probably for sure the best baseball player that's ever lived. So let's start there, right? True. Big now, facts. Big, big facts. facts. Big facts. Now, uh, Aaron Judge, if I'm not mistaken, is roughly seven feet six inches tall. So oh, ooh, you're going cross. Are you going to put Aaron Judge on your basketball team? Oh, oh, it's more than just basketball and football. So who is oh. going to who is going to body Aaron Judge in the post? The answer is nobody. LeBron. Also, who Nikola Jokic actually? Who is? Oh, okay. There's one. <laughs> and uh, so, who is going to shove Aaron Judge off the defensive line? Uh, yeah, off the D line. That guy's coming in hot off the D end. You think Aaron Judge is going to get stopped? I think not, buddy. So I'm taking Aaron Judge first overall, all three sports. But I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking though, if the guy is six foot, or I'm sorry, seven foot six, and he doesn't play basketball yet, how good's he really going to be at basketball? Where you could probably take LeBron, let him play basketball. Let him play football, probably catch like 14 to 27 touchdowns, and see what he does in baseball, and you're probably getting similar value. Yeah. It's fair. Uh, I won't disagree. Uh, I will still take Aaron Judge, but I do not disagree. You got to remember, Mike Trout doesn't have a neck. He looks like a linebacker. That's true. He's just true. like that's, he, he deadlifts in the outfield, I think, in between mm-hmm. pitches. That that's a really awesome question. I think that the best point you made though was we're not going to check baseball after forty five days. So it's really right, all about cause, right because who does that? Yeah, I don't. That's why Trout should make the most sense because he's like the gap in best and second best seems like it. Mike Trout has the largest gap in between the three sports. But I don't know. I'm just like I'm not going to care about my baseball team. It happens every year. I'm very confident in March. I will do. I will do the whole year. I haven't checked my baseball team in months at this point. I'm, I'm really glad you admitted that because I haven't looked at my team in your league since we drafted, and I thought you might be upset with me about it. So uh, glad, glad I, that's I, out there. I, yeah, I haven't looked either. I think after the first month I stopped. Yeah, no, I, it, you just can't. <laughs> it always sounds like no. a good idea. 
oh, this will be the year. It never is. No. It's every it's every day. You can't look every day. I can barely look once a week for football, and you want me to look every day? No thanks. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, guys. It's really late on Sunday night. I know we have uh, exciting stuff to do tomorrow. I want to thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. I really am big fans of both of you as people, as basketball minds, as whatever you guys consider yourselves. So, again, I just want to thank you. Before we say goodbye, you got anything you guys want to plug? Kyle? Yeah, so uh, real quick, we started doing our own merchandise at uh, the good old Wall of Nicks. So you can check out uh, our newest shirt that's been uh, released today uh, ahead of Chris Dapp's week, which is uh, our second annual Chris Dapp's week. Uh, it's the Chris Timms shirt. Chris Timms Porzingis. Um, it's just Chris Dapp's wearing Timms. It's simple but excellent. You can also check out our J.R. Smith Anything is Possible shirt. And if you're sad like me and want to cry into it, you can cop our Hoodie Mellow shirt before we remove it from the store out of uh, sheer sheer sadness. So anyway, merch store launched. Uh, check out the podcast, the Nick's Wall podcast with me and Anthony. And of course, check out our site as a whole and all of our great writing. So that's about it. And uh, big news coming from the Nick's Wall, I would say. Also, a quick personal thing, announcement, I guess you would call it. I was offered a show, and I'm going to take it with Al Patron on his new streaming service, the Invent TV. Wow. I'm going to be one of three hosts on their basketball show alongside, relatively speaking, alumnus Clue, Kevin Lewis, and Snotty Drippin. That should be upcoming for this season. Um, details will probably be released soon, but be on the lookout. Awesome, man. I'm really looking forward to that. Good things, Trey. Good things, Kyle. Definitely go get the merch. Definitely go check out the Knicks wall, which you could follow on Twitter at the Knicks wall. It's really not that difficult. Go follow follow Trey on Twitter at Trey Zingus. That's T-R-E-Y Zingus, like poor Zingus. You can follow Kyle on Twitter at Maggio. That's M-A-G-G-I-O, even though it's pronounced Maggio. Maggio NBA. You can follow me on you can follow me on Twitter at Jmins Hoops. I was trying to be I was trying to be phonetic, guys. It, it spells Maggio. If I say Maggio, they're going to type in J's and H's. I don't know what they're going to type in. You are not wrong. Right, that's fair. Wrong. That's I thought difference. you were just covering up. Nah, man. I, I you stew gossed your way through that one. <laughs> <laughs> guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Jmins Hoops. Catch my basketball writing at FanRagSports.com. Trey, Kyle, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Thank no you, Jared. Shout out, Joe.